0: welcome to the using the whole whale podcast where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world this podcast is a proud production of whole whale a b corp digital agency thank you for joining us now let's go learn something this week on the nonprofit news summary, of course, brought to you by Whole Whale. Well, we're talking about news that we have found, curated, and got excited by for the week of April 17th. And, you know, kicking it off, first off, happy birthday, Nick. I know it's your birthday over the weekend, so there, there's a little bit of local news.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you, George. Very, very kind of you. Yes, had an exciting birthday celebrating in New York and New Jersey. We had phenomenal weather here in the city, hit nearly 90 degrees in Manhattan, which was pretty exciting, if not a little concerning. But anyway, coming off of an exciting birthday weekend, uh, we have some good news for our top story today at the At A Glance. So this comes... The headline for this story is a decade plus of investment pays off with Parkinson's biomarker discovery. So in 2010, the Michael J. Fox foundation made a big bet on investing in researching a biomarker for Parkinson's disease. Uh, The project was titled the PPMI project. And on April 12th, it was announced that the bet had paid off. Researchers announced that with the new a synuclein seeding amplification essay. I'm not a biologist. They now have a tool capable of detecting abnormal alpha-synuclein, a key pathology of Parkinson's disease. So what does that mean? The breakthrough marks a significant shift in understanding, diagnosing, and treating Parkinson's disease. The assay was validated with 93% accuracy and promises to enable earlier diagnoses targeted treatments, and more efficient drug development. Efforts are now underway to develop this, this new seeding amplification essay for the widespread use uh, and attempts to optimize it to measure the amount um, of, of this uh, pathology present, potentially through blood draws or nasal swabs. So this development holds tremendous potential for transforming research and care for those living with Parkinson's disease. And this seems to have been largely sponsored by nonprofit foundation, the Michael J. Fox Foundation. So George, this sounds like, this is huge news.
0: Yeah, this is more than just a feel good story. This is a couple things all in one. One, an incredible, incredible way to measure progress for the treatment of Parkinson's disease. Prior to this, you know, there was no biomarker. So a lot of drug research and testing was reliant on, frankly, what people reported back, which can be subjective, which can also hold up FDA approval, which can also call into question drug efficacy and also confuse the heck out of the impacts of placebos. So in this very, you know, big bet, I'm just saying the bet because you know they started this in 2020 2010, and they said, "Look, let's start this as an investment. We're not sure if we're going to be able to achieve it, but if we are, it'll be incredible." You know, it is quite something to have this actually come to fruition, and it's also a testament to how they have a public private relationship meaning they have foundation dollars supporting and subsidizing and incentivizing pharmaceutical industries to make these types of investments that otherwise in absence of their their work here in in pushing this forward it is not clear that a pharmaceutical industry could find it profitable to embark on you know a 13 year endeavor with uncertain result and it's it's really exciting because you know We were talking just last week about the Estee Lauder Foundation dealing with uh, Alzheimer's and the need for similar potential research there may have corollaries because you're talking about the types of diseases that are disproportionately impacting folks as they potentially get older and are intractably hard because of the way they attack the brain and in the way they're they're working and this is just incredible. It's just incredible that yes, there's no development necessary, but like they're talking about being able to do this with a nasal swab and suddenly be able to tell that like look, this number is going up or this number is going down and this is how we can manage it it is really, really exciting. And again, a testament to, you know, taking a look at your own organization, sharing this win and saying like, what is what is our biomarker? What is our big bet that'll get people excited and have potential outsized rewards? Because this took a lot of investment, uh, but also uh, is, is exciting uh, to see. And I, I don't think it's just limited to the fields uh, of health when you're talking about setting a vision of this size with this potential impact and you know i think oftentimes we find ourselves frustrated by the news nonprofits attacking supporting lobbying doing everything they can to sometimes maintain even a status quo of of rights in america and this is just a moment to celebrate I'm thrilled uh, to have seen this come out. The Michael J. Fox Foundation deserves a tremendous amount of praise and hopefully serve as an inspiration uh, to to other nonprofits out there. Share this news with your board. Ask that question. What is our biomarker bet? What are we looking at to to make fundamental changes? And also, this makes me happy because it has to do with measurement, right? If we can't measure it, we can't manage it. And this is uh, key to, I think, what will help uh, in the eventual uh, management and potential cure of Parkinson's.
1: George, I couldn't say it better. This is extremely exciting. Uh, a great way to start us off at the top of the podcast. But we'll, we'll follow up on the story. I'm sure we'll hear more about this, but truly exciting news. Some more good news. Maybe this might be a feel-good episode, George, where we're continuing a trend because some more good news comes courtesy of Fox 17, West Michigan News, um, about uh, Attorney General from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Dana Nessel, introducing an automatic expungent program for the state of Michigan that does not require an application. So nonviolent offenders who have done time in prison or jail may automatically qualify for uh, this record expungement program, uh, which can help previously incarcerated folks get back up on their feet. And the article talks about how merely being in jail and prison can itself be traumatizing and can make uh, getting back to normal civilian life challenging. And this seems to be an effort to reduce recidivism. That is the likelihood that folks end up back in prison and really help nonviolent offenders get back on their feet. Some of the nonprofits quoted in this say that this is tremendous news. It really helps people uh, to contribute to the communities and and to to kind of re-contribute uh, to their, their families and, and re-engage in society without kind of the looming definition of, uh, you know, ex con ex felon kind of hanging over them in, in the, the bureaucratic system. So I think this is really cool news. So this comes through Michigan's clean slate bills, uh, many of which were signed into law in 20 of 20. And just cleared the records of millions of Michiganders on uh, the first day. So this is really cool. And we know there's a lot of nonprofits that work on uh, prison reform, and prison justice, and helping previously incarcerated folks. So I'm sure this is welcome news to those organizations out in Michigan. There's a lot of work to do in these United States when it comes to prison and jail reform. There's been some truly harrowing and horrifying stories over the past couple weeks about how we treat inmates and prisoners, but Michigan seems to have done the right thing here.
0: Yeah, I think this is a nuance, but it's an important one. Uh, especially when you look at things like marijuana convictions being uh, overturned the question is not just overturning it and saying oh you can get these expunged if you file in the local court system that takes time takes knowledge takes literacy understanding it is not as easy as it should be the default should be the default should be what we're seeing here which is automatic expungement. And yes, I am seeing this more and more by states, but it's the default by design, which should be fair. And that's why, you know, I like the story. Also just a nod that like, hey, look, you know, Fox talking about stuff that I'm completely in line with and highlighting, like good <laughs> good on Fox. Good luck with Dominion. But I, I'd say, you know, when you're looking at the entire system, look at how the default design either promotes or does not uh, equity in the system.
1: Yeah, George, I think that that's uh, exactly exactly true. And we talk about sometimes the access to bureaucracy becomes increasingly challenging for people who are more disadvantaged, at even something as simple as food stamps, right? If you have, in this case, access to an expungement of records, doesn't necessarily mean that's automatically going to happen unless, of course, as in this story, that happens automatically. So that's that's a huge hurdle that's overcome. And we will add, George, you talked about the nuance, this is for nonviolent offenders. So this is does not apply to folks uh, convicted of things like trafficking or assault or, or any violent crime, but helps nonviolent offenders get back on their feet after their prison sentence. All right, I'll take us into our next story. And this one comes from Nonprofit Pro. And the headline is, Donations Decline for the First Time Since 2012 Fundraising Effectiveness Project Project Data Shows. So, as more than 3,600 nonprofit leaders and fundraisers gather in New Orleans at AFP ICON, the Fundraising Effectiveness Project released its full year 2022 data. The results were not fantastic. The total number of donors declined 10% despite some gains in the middle of the year and the headline the kind of marquee marquee metric rather is dating back to 2012. Donor dollars have been rising until now and it says quote through the third quarter of 2022 giving was up 4.7% but at the end year there was a 1.7% decline and those numbers are much more stark for new donor contributions, which decreased 8.7%. And 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 the numbers around new donors are, are pretty uh pretty alarming. We will add that this is a concentrated data set. This is not a holistic data set, right? This is a sample of data that is available uh, and and published in this report. So it's not representative. But When you have a sample size with a rigorous methodology over time, changes in this can be important to look at. So, adding that caveat. But, George, what's our takeaway from these data?
0: It kind of confirms some of the things that I think we have also anecdotally been seeing uh, across the industry coming out of 2022 and economic uncertainty, rising of inflation. I was a little surprised at the total dollar number uh, also going down given inflation, but I think that's just a a natural uh, retreat in asset. Uh, generosity noting thanks also with regard to the dollars in this study is equating for roughly around call it 10 billion of you know dollars donated uh, and that's weighted across organizations with uh, 5,000 to 25 million in terms of what they're raising so it's folks that are in that range and also have uh, greater than three years of uh, data. Uh, from prior years, so th- there's definitely some filtering going on here, and also noting that there's a, a margin of error of uh, plus or minus two percent uh, with regard to to dollars and donors here. And you know, uh, even with all of those things, and put it into comparison, I, you know, I, I use the word ten billion in terms of the sample size for for these data. Uh, keep in mind, in 2021, we were talking about 480 uh, 480 billion with me. Coming in in terms of overall donations uh, across uh, various sources in the U.S. to nonprofits, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, so, you know, there may be some things that are reflected in the overall numbers uh, when when those kind of come out by USA Giving in the end of uh, yeah, it usually comes out during the summer. But you know, it, it, it confirms uh, I think some of the trepidation uh, that donors have, and inextricably showing that our you know uh, our fate. As a nonprofit sector is sort of tied to economic certainty, uncertainty, and there's a lagging. There's a certain lagging effect that that happens in that sort of you know six to twelve even months after uh, an economic moment, except for in Q4, the most sensitive period of time where a disproportionate amount of funds will end up coming in and being donated, and you just sort of have to root for good economic times narratives going on in that uh, to, to drive donations. And that really you know, wasn't questioned certainly in, in the end of 2022, which is now affecting, I think, some of the budgeting and decision-making going on now. But again, th- the right data to look at ultimately are your own. Look at your own retention numbers, look at your own pieces, but also this can serve as a benchmark of saying like, well, it looks like overall for this particular finding, they're seeing a decrease in ten percent for donors, and you know potentially flat or down you know two percent for the number of dollars raised. So how do you benchmark against this? Could be an interesting point for for you to bring back to your teams and narratives, I and mean, hopefully you're doing better, uh, doing better than this.
1: Yeah, George, I think that that's important context, and context, and as you say, we saw this a little bit anecdotally. Totally. But one of the things that I think I take away when looking at data, right, you've trained us very well to be data oriented is that the nonprofit sector is a very large and very diverse sector. And this can cut across different ways based on different types of nonprofits, different fields within nonprofits and philanthropy. So sometimes headline numbers require more nuance. So I appreciated what you said, in which Your own nonprofit's numbers are your best barometer. But I think in some ways, if you were the organization that felt that there was some kind of an external factor that affected your year-end numbers, these macroeconomic or these macro data sets could help validate that and and kind of um, help exemplify that it wasn't necessarily anything you were doing right or wrong it was just the field of play in our in our current economic environment. Absolutely. All right, I'll take us into our next story. This one comes from Fast Company, but the title of this story is These Startups and Nonprofits Are Keeping the Abortion Pill Accessible. So <laughs> you have not been following this pretty insane series of events. Uh, a U.S. district court Judge in the Northern District of Texas, Amar- the Amarillo Division, ruled that the medical abortion drug mifepristone uh, had a fact, in fact, should not have been authorized by the FDA, despite having been authorized by the FDA 23 years ago in the year 2000, and through medical access to abortion medication entirely uh, into the wind created all sorts of legal chaos. Experts seem to suspect uh, that this will end up at the Supreme Court. There were other rulings from uh, federal judges in Washington that contradicted this ruling. So uh, short of Supreme Court intervention, we kind of have a little mini constitutional crisis. Uh, But this drug, along with another commonly used Drug in the abortion, medical abortion regimen, misoprostol, uh, was together, quote, the Plan C protocol. These were drugs that you could take within week 10 of a pregnancy uh, to end that pregnancy for whatever reason. But this article states that there are nonprofit organizations that are stepping up to uh, provide access (laughs) during this time. So nonprofit Plan C offers an online directory of medication abortion by mail resources, including access to the European nonprofit aid access that sells overseas medicine, which you can order in the United States, which according to the FDA, which doesn't explicitly endorse it, uh, does not explicitly prohibit it either. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, that folks have been using over the course of time. But George, the whole situation is a mess. Kind of the legal status of this medication is a mess. Uh, you had some judge who just went kind of on like a legal tirade and just decided uh, that he was just gonna overrule the FDA uh, on a drug that had been uh, authorized for nearly a quarter of a century, seemingly on a whim. I think the takeaway here is that nonprofits and clever nonprofits uh, can be a lifeline for vital medical access when overzealous politicians try to legislate away rights to particular kinds of of medicine or activist conservative judges in this case. (sighs) The whole thing's a mess. You could talk about it for hours. Uh, but George, what's your takeaway from this story for our nonprofit listeners?
0: Well, one, take a look at PlanCills.org. plancpills.org, and see how they're approaching this moment and communications around this. Uh, and frankly, we're going to need nonprofits as a bridge as we go over these very uh, confusing and overreaching periods of legislation from the, I'll say, from the judicial branch, uh, and frankly, what the Supreme Court has done in rolling back Roe v. Wade is is open up this sort of like hope that, oh, state by state will figure this out, and immediately we're running into an issue where one tiny, frankly, very influenced judge can overrule, and that hasn't happened, but potentially overrule the FDA on a drug that would impact the entire United States, pushing their agenda across every single state. Uh, So what ends up happening in these moments of confusion is there's somebody who needs help today, right now, that is at the whim of the agenda of a judge in Texas. And right now we're going to need nonprofits like Plan C and certainly Planned Parenthood to to support this they're going to need donations they're going to need you know signing up protesting and paying attention to this because it is a very dangerous precedent to have medical decisions like actual like medication safe for humans get overruled by lawyers lawyers should be reviewing docs not drugs
1: yeah absolutely this is outrageous uh and i i think that that your takeaway is Absolutely salient. I expect to see more of this over the next couple of years as Trump administration appointed judges become more brazen, enabled by other policies. But as you said, uh, we recommend that folks check out plancpills.org, the nonprofit helping folks access this, what can in many cases be life-saving medication. So an important story to highlight for this audience. All right, I can take us into our feel-good story. I, I need a feel-good coming off of that one. That makes me makes me angry. This comes from the Cretonian. That is a great name uh, for a news outlet, the Cretonian, uh, and it talks about how a nonprofit coffee shop is making a difference. So Astute Coffee is a local Omaha coffee shop, and it, quote, is a nonprofit social enterprise that provides workforce workforce development and personal growth opportunities for young adults that have been impacted by the foster care system. So essentially, you have a social enterprise model coffee shop. They have two coffee shop locations in the area, and they serve to, yes, provide employment to, uh, folks in the foster care system by also providing them with resources and training around things like managing personal finance, applying for jobs, some of those life skills that kids in the foster care system may not have had the stability to access. So, George, I know you and I are a big fan of creative social enterprise models for nonprofits and community impact. Um, This seems to be a, a tasty and uh caffeinated way uh to do that right. So kind of a cool story uh coming out of Omaha.
0: I wonder I wonder if you're you're able to buy a coffee and then like somehow get a a donation uh exemption so you could like move that coffee habit into a a donation column uh if it's a it's a perk or reward or it's a membership. And like, oh you get coffees there. There's something there and I think nonprofits should uh, absolutely be playing with these types of enterprise models. What's more in a larger macro view? I, I do think a big part of answering the question of where will future employment come from, as we look at how rapidly automation and AI is is jumping in, is it, it's going to come from the social impact sector of when we talk about meaningful work that needs to be done. Uh, I think there's a level at which you can't automate empathy and that, frankly, nonprofits, disproportionately provide jobs based on their GDP output, 10%. That's roughly the number, 10% of our labor force uh, is, in fact, working in and around the 1.8 million nonprofits in America. And, again, one small story, but, like, why not grow it? You know, uh, I think this is excellent. Uh, I have a couple of questions, though, for you, for you, Nick. First, uh, this is more of a riddle for you to play. All right, what's extremely valuable, risky to give, hard to receive, and sometimes impossible to repair once it's broken. So this is a bit of a riddle. It's not the joke yet.
1: (laughs) Wait a (laughs) second.
0: (laughs) Extremely valuable, (laughs) risky to give, hard to receive, sometimes impossible to repair. The answer, playing at home, the answer is trust. And that is why we're happy that we are a partner with Nonprofitist, a trusted network. See what I did there? (laughs) A trusted network of nonprofit consultants. And they have over 4,000 nonprofits that are ongoingly using uh, that as a search and a starting point for finding experts across a range of things like accounting, finance, board development, uh, executive coaching, DEI work, ad grants, web design, and more. So do check them out, nonprofit.ist, nonprofitist. We love those folks. Okay. Now, actually, for the real question, this is super serious. So you didn't do so well in the riddle. Let's see how you do on this one. Why, Nick, why did the nonprofit Umbrella Donor Thank You Program fail? Why did that Umbrella Donor Thank You Program fail?
1: I don't know. Why did the Umbrella Donor Thank You Program fail?
0: Uh, it went over people's heads. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you get for making it to the end. Thanks, as always, Nick.
1: <laughs> Thanks George.
0: This has been using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com/university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.